The Badass Counseling Show is brought to you by Born Primitive, a line of fitness and lifestyle apparel designed to move you through your toughest challenges in life. Visit bornprimitive.com. From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson. I am joined in studio by my producers, KC, who is up in the booth. Hello, KC. You can't see her. I can. And Rob, the rocket, sitting next to me. What's the good news today, Rob? I'll tell you something, Sven. I got a statement for you here. Sven, I just wanted to let you know that your counseling is making a real difference in people's lives. Your guidance and support have helped many people deal with serious problems, and I wanted to express my gratitude for all that you do and for allowing me to be a part of it. What do you think about that? That's very sweet. Where did you get that? I know that didn't come from you. No, I, I put it into chat GPT. What should I say to Sven when I produce his next Soul Counseling podcast? And that's what came out. Wow. I'm not kidding. Chat GPT. It's scary, is fan, isn't it? Evidently. Yeah. Or is finding some good propaganda online to recite back to the rest of us mere mortals. I'll bet you found it flattering too. <laughs> I did. I did. Welcome to the show from everyone tuning in uh, around the world from Nantucket uh, to uh, British Columbia. We've got people down in South Africa. We have people, I have someone claiming to be checking in from North Korea, but I'm skeptical. We have folks in from around the world and I'm taking your questions live for a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. So we're gonna just go ahead and dive right in as I put on my pretty dollar store cheater glasses. And here we go. How to heal while needing to co-parent with a narcissist. Feel stuck. He keeps reeling me back. Okay. Um, because of the nature of the comment section, you can only put in so many words and letters. So I realized you had to abbreviate some stuff here. So I'm going to read it as I think you're saying it. And it's simply this. How do I heal um, when I have to co-parent with a narcissist? I feel stuck and he keeps fucking reeling me back. Note the insertion of the fuck for emphasis. Um, wouldn't be my show if it weren't there. All right. The reeling back in technically isn't happening. You didn't just say, I have to deal with a narcissist while co-parenting. That in and of itself is bad enough, where they're basically torturing you. They're tearing your life apart. They're perhaps injecting shitty messages into your kids about you, perhaps even your own family. I've had that done before. Um, turning your own family against you, dealing with a narcissist in a co-parenting situation after a divorce or after a separation where there are kids involved um, is difficult in and of itself. But you're saying something different. You're saying he keeps reeling me back in. Okay. The reeling back in is technically not him. And I know that may sound crazy to you, but that's technically what's going on inside of you, that there are feelings going on inside of you that are not resolved. There are feelings going on inside of you, which he has, and I'm saying he because um, in my read here of the person's name, it appears to be a woman and a kid, so I'm just assuming, and for convenience sake, I'm running with it, he. Um, I do apologize if that offends. Um, but uh, he keeps reeling you back in. It's not him. It's those feelings inside of you that are being triggered by his or their actions, right? Their words, and it keeps reeling you back in. So what that says to me is there is part of you that still longs for or feels weakened in, in the company of that 
your ex, right? So there's stuff going on inside of you. And what you need to do is you need to, you say, you know, how do I make room? How do I make room to uh, heal when I need to uh, co-parent? You have to find time alone. You have to guide, dive into and identify what precisely am I feeling? Because I guarantee there's love in there. I guarantee if they're reeling you back in, you still have some love that you have not purged. And this is one of those situations. I get people saying to me, Sven, why would I ever want to release on love? Why would I ever want to get love out of me? Love is a good feeling. Why would I ever want to do that? Because of precisely situations like this, where my love is keeping me entangled with someone who is dragging me down, where my love, it's like it's an anchor tied to my leg and I'm in the ocean and it's pulling me underwater and it's taking all of my energy to be above water. You've got to go into the love, feelings of sadness, feelings of weakness. All of that is being triggered by this person trying to reel you back in and they're able to reel you back in because you still have all those feelings inside that you have not flushed out of you. And that has to be done. And I guarantee somewhere in your childhood as well, you got messages that were similarly enfeebling, leaving you feeble in your own belief system, leaving you not strong enough to act on your own feelings, to even identify what your own feelings are. And so there has to be work there of going back into your childhood and identifying that. And that's precisely why, as you guys know, I wrote the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It's to hold your hand and walk you back through that process of looking at all those and identifying those messages from childhood that are keeping you enfeebled. Next question. All right. I'm glad uh, this person sent this question. And it's simply this, how to let go of hate. Okay, we'll just tweak the language a little bit, add up a little bit of punctuation. Sven, how do I deal with letting go of hate? How do I actually let go of hate? Hate is no different from the love I was just talking about. Literally zero difference. From the, the anger, from frustration, from disappointment, from sadness, you let it out. Now, it does not have to be go in this to the person or to uh, the organization or whatever to the family that you're mad at that you're that you hate. You don't ever have to say anything to them in order to heal. So many people say, "Oh, well, how can I ever you know uh, have healing in my childhood if my parents are dead? How can I do that? You know, they're dead." That implies that you need something from them in order for you to heal. You don't need anything from your abuser or from your parent or from anyone. You don't need anything outside of you to happen in order for you to heal. This is inner work. This is an inside job, so to speak. So how do you let go of the hate? You begin to go in. First, you acknowledge it. And the mere fact that you can even ask that in a question is actually a huge, huge first step. Do you want to know why? Because so many people, when I counsel them, don't want to touch the question of hate. They don't even like to use the word let alone even acknowledge that they might even have one tiny trace of it. So man, I'm not a hater. Hey, I don't want to put that shit out in the universe or I don't want to feel that because that's not me. I No way. And what I have to help them understand is A, hate is a natural emotion. Just because you don't want it doesn't mean that you're not feeling it. You know, if, if somebody punches me in the face, I feel, ow, I feel pain. I don't choose, oh, uh, no, I don't feel pain. That doesn't hurt. No, it fucking hurts. All right, feeling is, is just a natural response, right? Sadness is a natural response when your dog dies. It's natural. We come out of the womb with feelings. Now, the idea of taking one feeling and saying, no, this should never be acknowledged. It should never be expressed. 
Again, you don't have to express it at the person, but the notion that it should never come out, it's, it's just like any other feeling. Why? Why is that one untouchable? We have to put it away because then you're a hater. No, you're not a hater. You want to know when you're actually a hater, technically, if we acknowledge that every feeling is natural and it's like a train passing through town. Feelings are like a train coming into town. They come in, they let people off, people get on, and the train goes out of town. It's just passing through. Feelings are just passing through. So when you avoid it or deny it or say, I don't want to feel anything, I can't feel anything, or you have some childhood trauma, you get punched in the face in junior high uh, by your father or what have you, and it locks down your feelings, now you're not letting the train pass through. And now you start accumulating a train yard, a non-functional train yard, because in a normal train yard, the trains don't just come in, they leave, okay? So you're getting all these trains of emotions piling up in your city, and all of a sudden there's a problem. There's a big stinking problem, right? Well, feelings are supposed to come and they do pass if you allow them. That's why the process of welcoming your feelings, allowing your feelings, rather than no longer shutting them down, the mere fact that you're allowing them is the biggest step in the entire process, welcoming the feelings. So when I tell you guys, go get the book, The Sedona Method, after you read my book, or in, you know, as one, there's... That's not a concept book. That is just a workbook, but it's a very powerful workbook for releasing feelings, for getting, letting go of feelings, hate, love, uh, anger, sadness, whatever. The first thing it teaches, and, and Doreen Banaszak actually teaches this in her book, Excuse Me, My Life Is Now, and she teaches a little technique that she calls an accepting technique, and I use that as well. I use Sedona every single day. I use uh, Banaszak's accepting technique often, all right? And they're tools, and in both cases, the first step is to say literally out loud. I say it in my head sometimes. Sometimes I'm doing the releasing out loud. I say it, I, I, I use the Sedona method literally every single morning, laying in bed, my girlfriend's still asleep, and I wake up with anxiety over this or sadness over this, or just happy. What a beautiful sunrise this morning. And I get to catch it before the sun has even come up above the horizon or whatever. All these feelings, and if there are any negative ones, I do this little releasing technique. But in both cases, the very first question that you ask yourself is, can I welcome this feeling. So I'm already feeling stress or I'm already feeling fear of, gosh, I got a, um, you know, I have this big meeting and I'm afraid I'm going to screw up my presentation. For instance, I've got the fear. Well, now what do I do with it? The first step in those and the first step in my journaling techniques that I use and letter writing techniques that I teach my clients is to welcome, to allow, to allow your feelings. So when you say in your question, how do you let go of the hate? The first, the mere fact that you can acknowledge that you have hate is the biggest step of all. It's welcoming it. And that needs to be a repeated cycle every day. You need to continue to welcome that hate and flushing it out. Pen and paper, writing letters to the ones you hate, that you, letters you don't send, letters you don't put a stamp on. Writing letters, you fucking asshole, why did you do that to me? I'm so angry at you. Maybe it's the bullies from middle school. Maybe it's to your father. Maybe it's to your mother. Maybe it's that uncle who always had a negative word about you. Maybe it's to your boss right now, or maybe it's to your coworkers who are so harsh with you. Maybe it's your sibling that always talks down to you. Whatever it is, there are strong feelings there. There are trains coming into town. Now, are you getting those trains fired up and sending them out of town? You do that by welcoming and allowing it to come and feeling it. But so many people don't want to heal because they don't want to feel that shit. And there are, we accelerate the process though. You're, you actually pack it back down. You're going to feel it again if you don't find use these avenues to release the pain. And here's the thing that I wanted to say before about hate. If you don't release it, if you pack it down, you're technically a hater because that hate is inside of you. 
It's inside of you. Until it's out of you, it's still in you. So technically, by not letting it out, you're a hater. Once you do flush it all out, you're no longer a hater. Do you get that? All right, next question. What do we got, people? All right. I feel like feeling the hate is normal, but holding on to the hate, that's damaging. That's exactly right. It's damaging you. It's damaging all your relationship. It's damaging your energy flow because you are somewhere in you spending so much energy trying to distract yourself from that hate. Hate is one of the most powerful conversations I have uh, and work that I do with any of my clients. And that's really only happened, particularly in the last 10 years, that I've really latched onto that because there's so much hidden down there. And here's one more thing about hate. And I just put up a post on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, on you know Twitter, on YouTube. And I did a post on one of the biggest challenges if you've grown up in a home where there has been abuse or a bad home or where there's a lot of negativity or whatever it is, one of the, but especially in, in situations where there was abuse, one of the most difficult things for clients when they've grown up in a really shitty, fucked up home situation is either A, that they feel love and they feel, oh, I understand my dad did it. I forgive mom for blah, blah, blah. And gee, I understand. And, you know, I still love them and I still, but they're my family, you know, or they're still my parents. And and they, they feel the love. And the biggest challenge for a lot of people is to allow for the possibility that they also feel hate to admit that there might even be hate. And so one of the questions I always ask clients is, is it possible to love someone without loving everything about them? And they're like, yeah, sure, of course. And then I say, well, is it possible to hate someone without hating every last thing about them? Well, sure, of course. All right, then I ask them, so this parent that you love so much, even though they've you know, fucked you over completely, that you claim to still love, and I believe you, you do, what percent do you hate them? Because you acknowledge they did these, these forms of emotional abuse or physical abuse, or, or they were brutal to you in other ways, you don't have any hate for that? Wouldn't a child experiencing those things naturally, if feelings are natural and good and okay, wouldn't a child naturally, eventually, if bad stuff persisted, if it wasn't just a one-off, bad messaging or uh, abuse or whatever, in other forms, wouldn't a child naturally, as one of their feelings, wouldn't a feeling of hate grow? And isn't that why you blew up in your teens and you went off the rails and you got into drugs or whatever and gave up on your on your schools, because it's like, well, if you're gonna tell me I'm a piece of shit, I guess I might as well just be a piece of shit, right? Isn't it natural that hate would grow? Right, of course it is. And so, like every other feeling, that has to come out. So one of the things that is challenging is when they feel the love but don't wanna admit there's hate. And one of the most cathartic, powerful healing experiences is when we begin to get all that out and flush that out, they get so much lighter. That's one of the biggest rocks that gets put in that burlap sack on your back of the pain from childhood, but then there's, part B. And that's the people who easily tap into the anger and the rage at, at their mother, at their father, at their, whoever their abusers were, the people that did the most damage in their childhood. They, they, they easily feel all that rage, but they have trouble admitting. And they don't all do this. And nor, nor does everyone have hate or put down hate in the love, you know, pack it down. So this isn't, I'm not saying this is an absolute right? But there are plenty of people who feel it on this part B over here. There are plenty of people that feel the rage, feel the anger, feel the hate, and they're so angry and so forth. And then I poke and prod and poke and prod. And then usually it comes out something like this, man, I'm really ashamed to admit it, or I'm really, really fucking embarrassed to admit this. I, I said, what? They said, I actually still have a little bit of love for my parent. I say, what's wrong with that? This is such a pattern over 30 years that it's very often, usually, I'm so embarrassed over this. Why are you embarrassed? Because of all the shit they did, I shouldn't feel any sort of love. I shouldn't feel anything for them. I should just have hate. They were fucking monsters. 
they were doing this to a child. Why, what's wrong with me that I feel love? I said, a few things. Nothing's wrong with you. It's a normal feeling. You feel what you feel. Why is that bad? Allow it. And if you want it out of you, just keep flushing, whatever. If you want it in you, that's up to you. There's no right or wrong answer. But here's the thing. It's also a testament to the fact that children love parents even more than parents love children. And a lot of people bristle at that because they're like, no fucking way. You don't know love till you have a child. And I say, really? What if we were to frame it this way? That a child will endure far more at the hands of a parent than a parent would ever endure at the hands of a child. Ah, well, that sort of casts the question in a different light, doesn't it? The notion in a different light. But whether it's whose love is greater, who gives a shit? In the end, the mere fact that you still love the parent or whoever inflicted the abuse, if, if you do, maybe you don't, but if you still have love, A, there's nothing wrong with that, but B, it's a testament to the extraordinary love and longing of the child to be close to the parent to feel the love that in a normal circumstances would flow effortlessly. And so there's nothing wrong with feeling hate amid the love. There's nothing wrong with feeling love amid the hate. Just keep flushing it all out and see who you are after you get out all of these emotions that were packed into you or that you weren't allowed to feel. Then see how you calm down. See how your peace and calm meter inside of you just goes. See how you're energized and lightened by life and just feel lighter and happier. See how everything changes the more you get this heavy stuff out of you. All right, next question. How am I supposed to deal slash handle myself when someone triggers me? I usually go straight to anger. Uh, a few things. One, if you're going straight to anger um, or really straight to anything, that is an indicator that there's healing work that needs to be done there. What's going on when someone triggers you? You're asking, what do I do about myself? So this is a person not pointing the finger at the other person. They're saying, this one, this person triggers me. Maybe it's someone, uh, as we discussed earlier, you know, a co-parenting narcissistic ex that triggers you. But maybe it can be a random person who randomly says something that just triggers me and I go hot right away, white hot. How am I supposed to deal with that? So I love that you're acknowledging that I need to look at myself and how to handle myself. And basically you're saying, I go straight to anger and I don't like it. No, we realize that's probably not an effective way to walk through life, probably alienate a lot of people, lose some friends, but more importantly, we don't like ourselves. So that anger is an indicator that your love cup is full, full of pain and all the things that come after pain and anger is a response to pain. Anger is generally a secondary feeling, a secondary emotion. The primary is the pain. Someone inflicts pain, and so you're angry at them for doing it in the past, or you're angry at them in the present for doing it now, or anger is a response to perceived future pain, all right? And so that anger is likely all the pain that's accrued, but also you're basically throwing up a shield right away and saying, don't fucking come after me. Don't you dare hurt me, or I'll, I'm going to fucking hurt you right back. I'm not even going to wait for you to hurt me back. You just hurt me, I'm going to hurt you again, all right? So how do you deal with that? So many people believe that the solution to not being triggered anymore is to remove the triggers. That is to remove themselves from anything or anyone that might trigger them. And that's part of the solution, sure, but the problem still exists. The real problem is all the manure and rocks and crud and dog shit inside your love cup that is being triggered. It's all of the memories, all of the experiences, all of the uh, uh, events inside of you that have emotional charges attached to them. You guys have heard me talk about this a million times. And those emotional charges have to be released. So that's what it means to go back inside, pull up each of those memories. And, and you wanna know how you do it? Just get a, get a piece of paper and bullet point every single memory that you have. I know this sounds ridiculous, insane, tedious, granular, pain in the ass, and it is. But the question is, how happy do you wanna be? 
It's like, do you want to win the championship? Well, guess what? You got to fucking work harder all off season. See many seasons in a row. And this doesn't have to take forever though. You can accelerate the process. And this is what I talk about in the book. I give you the fucking tools for doing it. One of them is the book I mentioned earlier, both those books. But just take a piece of paper and bullet point every single memory you have that you can possibly think of, even as recent as last week or yesterday, when the person in the grocery store cut in front of you and as a result, you took longer and as a result, you were late for your meeting, whatever. Every single memory you have that has an emotional charge attached to it, bullet point it, and then from those bullet points, list every single feeling that you feel as you think about that memory. Those are the emotional charges. And then you start journaling about each one, writing out what you're feeling, why, what's it, where does it come from? You can even retell the story. And there are processes, and that seems incredibly laborious, right? And that's why I give you tools like the Sedona Method, which I did not write. It accelerates the process. But if you dive right into the Sedona method without doing this other work, you're putting the cart before the horse. And this notion of you have to be able to tap into your feelings. You have to welcome that train into town. You have to welcome, begin the process of welcoming your feelings. Well, if you've been running from your feelings your whole life, or if you negate the importance of feelings, or if you say there's certain feelings I don't want to touch, too painful, I'm not a hater, or I don't want to think about my past, man, I'm not going to bullet point shit. It's too painful, right? And you can do that. That's fine. But the bottom line is that shit's going to suck the fucking life out of you. Much more to come right after this short break. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. KC, you've been raving about born primitives, limitless leggings. Now, as a guy who knows nothing about leggings, why do you like them so much? I know you ran a company in the garment industry for years. I got to believe your standards are very, very high. Oh, my God. I love these leggings. Why is that? First off, they use a nylon spandex ottoman fabric that's compressive without being restricting, stretchy while still being really supportive. They also have a high waistband that's doubled, so it really holds in your tummy. Plus, I like that it gives me a badass butt. And the fabric and stitching are really high quality. Born Primitive is definitely my go-to athletic wear brand from now on. Sven, you've been really loving the men's pants and shirts these past few months. Yeah, I have. Born Primitive shirts fit snug for a great muscle look, and they're flexible. They move with you, not against you. But to be honest with you, I most love the Frontier pants, which are made for active outdoors, and I use them when I'm in the woods camping or just splitting wood on my property. And... I wear the perfect-fitting Traverse pants when I'm going out for the evening. They're sporty, but they feel great. I love them. But the coolest part, Born Primitive is veteran-owned and operated. And as you know, the Badass Counseling Show supports our veterans and all who serve. Go to bornprimitive.com. Get 25% off your first three items purchased. Just type in the code BADASS. bornprimitive.com. Code BADASS. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with another lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I am taking listener questions, uh, viewer listener questions, as I am on multiple platforms right now. And I've got like oodles and oodles of questions in front of me. I am on YouTube. Good to see this crew over here. I've got Facebook on this camera down here. And I've got TikTok up here, my ever faithful uh, TikTok audience. All right, this is over on YouTube. Carrie asks the question, 
Can you please speak to people that start calling pet names and sexual comments in the first two days after meeting, please? Okay, um, first of all, Carrie, you said please twice, and that makes me so happy. There is such a dearth of good manners, and so somebody has raised you well. Uh, good breeding, I love it. Thank you for your kindness. Uh, I appreciate that. Carrie asks, can you please speak to people that start calling pet names and sexual comments in the first two days after meeting, please? Whether it's first two days or first two dates or first uh, whatever, yeah. I mean, the truth is, the real truth is this. If you're the person calling someone else pet names within the first two days uh, of dating or after meeting, you have every right to do that. You wanna do it, do it. So I'm just stay with me here, Carrie. I know you're thinking, what the hell's he doing? <laughs> you have every right to be who you are. Be it. Be it, God bless you, fly your freak flag, if that's how you feel. But you might be wise to also consider that for some people, that might be a massive turnoff, right? Too much too soon, right? And so for me, here's the approach I took when I was dating, last time I was dating, which was about nine years ago, I ended up meeting a wonderful woman we've been together nine years. I fly my fucking freak flag. I had the longest profile ever, I'm certain of it, on OkCupid. Okay and my theory was, I don't want leads. I took a sales mentality. I don't want leads. I want qualified leads. So if I'm going to be, if someone's even answering to one of my, where I reach out, one of my direct messages, they've already read my profile. They know everything about me. And you want to know why I like that? So that if we ever end up sitting down in front of each other, they already know my story. They already know a bunch of my, you know, warts and all, as my mother used to say. They know, I'll, I'll just put it all out there. And I did. Why? Because I don't want to waste my fucking time. I don't, I don't have time like that to burn. I don't want to get into a situation and, you know, we tap dance. But that's just me. And that was a massive turnoff for a lot of people because I got a lot of no's when I would reach out, you know, to, hey, what's your name? You know, or to reach out to a woman on the site. I, a lot of non-responses. And I was fine with that. I'm totally fine with that, Right. But for me personally, I just want qualified leads. I want to know someone's in the ballpark before we go on the day. I want to know they're in the infield of, of playing ball with me, right? And they know everything about me. Now, whether or not they do that, I don't give a shit, all right? I just need to do this for me because otherwise it's just a fucking waste of my time. So I fly the freak flight. Now, what Carrie is saying is I don't like it when people call me pet names and make sexual comments in the first two days after a meeting. Carrie, you have every right, every right to not want that. And I can 2,000% understand why that would be either A, offensive or just like creepy or let's put it real simply, not your thing, right? Obviously, it's not your thing. I'm gonna respond to you, Carrie, if you were my client or you and I were just having beers, all right? I would say to you, but Carrie, aren't they actually doing you a favor? And you're like, no, I fucking hate it. Exactly, exactly. They're fundamentally doing, by calling you a pet name or making sexual comments, they are fundamentally doing what I did by making that very long okay Cupid profile. They're laying it out there. They are showing you exactly who they are. And you're picking up on it. That's good. What's worse, what's scarier, is if they're not showing their warts. And you gotta wait till down the road before you see the warts. And in some cases, wait until after the wedding. And they change. So I know you don't want that. I know it's offensive, but they're showing you who they are. Now, as far as this sort of uh, public service announcement that you wanted, 
I'm going to, I'm going to just put it this way and I'm going to give it Carrie. Cause I, I mean, on one hand, I don't know if I like the pet name thing that soon, personally, not my thing. So if someone were doing that, honestly, for me personally, and I know some people would like that. All right. Some people would like that. But for me personally, it's just like, yeah, sorry. It's just a little too, I don't know. I don't want to say creepy, but just not my thing. So I'm with you. I'm in the same boat, Carrie. And I wouldn't, uh, you know, in two days after meeting someone, I wouldn't be saying, oh, hey, love, will you give me a call? You know, um, or what did you say in your last text, darling? It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, no. Um, so if you're somebody who's doing that, hey, keep doing it. Please keep doing it because you're just showing us exactly, ah, you're not the one for me. But if that is not a full reflection of your character, but it's some sort of habit that you've fallen into where you call someone, have, you know, or you make sexual comments, uh, you know, on the first date, on the second date, on the third date, or very early on, just understand that for a lot of people, it's creeping them out. And so if that isn't an actual reflection of your character, well, then you're creating a problem for yourself. See, so you may not actually be a creep, but you're doing something that is being interpreted as very fucking creepy or weird or unattractive. And so it's pushing people away, right? So ask yourself, when you make those sexual comments, am I a person who makes sexual comments early? And, you know, a lot of guys, my generation, we were socialized. That was okay. Rob and I were talking before this episode how we both watched uh, the latest episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel last night. On that show, you know, they're showing the, the sort of the mores sexual and otherwise of 1961, right? And uh, how, you know, people did that shit back then. And I, I, you know, I was born in 67, so I grew up in the 70s. So sexual comments, it's like, it was much more common back then, as anybody will tell you. But it's not common now. It's not okay. All right, so if you want to keep doing those and you realize, I'm just doing it because that's how I was socialized, it's like, it may be working against you there, buddy. Or it may be working against you there, young lady. So ask yourself, if you're a person that makes sexual comments or, or does things that might be uh, somewhat out of order in society, you can do them if you want, but ask yourself the question, is this a reflection of my actual values? Because if it's not, then I am projecting an image of myself that is unattractive when it's not actually who I am. But if it is a if it is a reflection of who you are, fucking fly the freak flag. Just don't be surprised when people walk away quickly. All right, Rob, do you have a comment on that one? I, I sense you may be itching to say something, either about Maisel or about that particular comment. Weigh in for me, Rob. Pick a really good question, sweetie pie. <laughs> All right, honey. Snookums. Right. Snookums. All right. By which, by the way, I need to say this. I am a big fan of pet names and private language. Do you have a private language in your love relationship? A certain way that you talk that any other person, if they heard it, they'd be like, that's like just, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Uh, do you have a private language? <laughs> Uh, hence the word private. So if you want to say uh, no comment, a private, and you don't have to say what the language is, but do you have a private language in your relationship, Rob? No, you have it right. It's private. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. Um, uh, you know, uh, I use words like sweetheart and honey and love, not honey so much, but then also, you know, little things, you know, where you, like when you talk to a little puppy, you know, everybody has a language when they talk to all oh, our little kittens. Oh, you're so cute. You're a little furry monster. I want to gobble your cheeks. You know, we all have silly languages and I, I think it's great. It's a sign of laughter and play in a relationship. Some of those pet names you have are somewhat offensive, however. What? I'm not I'm not saying furry which ones. monster to a dog? All Honey, these, sweetheart. You gave great examples there that are PG rated, but beyond that, hey. 
All right. Let that freak flag fly, Let, dude. Right. And hopefully your partner is okay with it. And if not, your partner has a responsibility to say so. And uh, you have a responsibility to change it, at least if you want the relationship to work. All right. We sort of went, uh, but that was fun. Hey, man, this is my fucking show. This is shit we talk about. This is life, baby. This is life. All right. Someone is making a comment on one of these threads, uh, commenting to someone else. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. Hey, it's in front of me. Why not? Uh, it's like food after the meal is done. If there is food still on the table, I'm eating it. I have like, I'll peck away at it, a little bite here, a little bite there, and then I've eaten the whole fucking thing. Yeah, I know, not good. Someone makes the comment, forgiveness is for you, so you aren't angry. That doesn't mean you should forget it. And uh, not sure the backstory behind that comment, but I wanna address this notion of forgiveness very, very quickly. And that forgiveness is very often sold as the panacea, as the cure-all. All things, hey, if you got emotional trauma, just forgive. Uh, you know, you always need to forgive and forget. Forgive 70 times 70, you always gotta forgive. Forgive is the answer. And some people say, you know, you gotta forgive. Well, forgive, first of all, implies that there's been a breach in a relationship, right? There's been a chasm that's been created. And the highest priority is repair that relationship, especially if it's with a family member or a parent or something that you have to, right? No, you don't. If there's been a breach in the relationship in all likelihood, there's good reason for that breach, right? Strong feelings and strong events, right? And so we're told, you got to forgive, you got to repair the relationship. And then other people come along and say, you got to forgive for your own sake. You can't heal unless you forgive them. You have to forgive them and do it for yourself. Honestly, if I'm totally honest with you, 30 years in counseling and getting myself out of my own shit and so on and so forth, if you want to forgive someone, God bless you, go for it. I'm all for forgiveness. The biggest mistake that people make though, when it comes to forgiveness, is they forgive too soon. Now are you saying, what, I should hold a grudge? No, don't jump to that yet. What I'm saying is very often we choose forgiveness in place of, instead of, before, or as a replacement for actually getting your fucking feelings out. And I don't mean you ever have to get them out at the person. I'm not saying you have to unleash hell on them. I'm not saying anything has to happen with the other person, but that breach exists in that relationship that you have or that you had, and your feelings about that person, for that person, or as a result of that uh, breach, are real, and they are inside of you. And if you just choose for, oh, I'm just gonna focus on forgiveness, forgive and let it go. Nope, doesn't work that way. You can't just let go by, because you say, I let go. It's like that episode of, uh, yeah, the legend of Ricky Bobby, you know, with all due respect, uh, you're a blah, blah, blah. You can't say with all due respect. Yeah, you can if you say with all due respect. Okay, it's the same with forgiveness and letting go. Oh, I let go. So it's all gone. No, it's not. Until you actually flush those feelings out of you, they are in you and they are down there and you are expending energy keeping them down. Life energy. And they accumulate. Here's the thing. They don't just go away. They accumulate. And that's when it eats at your health. That's when it eats at your emotional health. That's the more it sucks the life out of you and out of your relationships. So I'm all for forgiveness, but not at the expense of the real shit. And especially when it comes to parenting shit, if you jump right to forgiveness or I understand, you know, gosh, mom died. Dad did his best. I understand. Or, you know, mom had it worse than I did because, you know, she went through the great depression and, you know, and her dad was an abuser and I understand. And the bottom line is understanding that doesn't solve shit if you're stuffing your actual feelings down. Love, hate, and all things in between. All right, next question. Well, in that vein, I couldn't forgive my ex yet. It's been 18 months since he discarded me. And that's fine. The question I would pose to you, have you flushed out all of the anger, the sadness, all the love that is keeping you tethered to this person that is causing you to not let go? Are you actively, deliberately, 
attacking those feelings, going into them, allowing them all to come up, remembering all the memories and decharging all the emotional charges from those memories. That's the question because that'll move you along quicker. Uh, This is interesting. How about Dr. Phil keeps on trying to keep toxic relationships alive? It's not illegal to cut ties. I am not one to disparage Dr. Phil. I mean, the guy is... He's the fucking, he's been helping a fuck ton of people for a very long time. And I tip my hat to anybody who helps people, even if it's, you know, different from me, you know, just because I'm a this or you're a that doesn't mean, you know, it's like psychology. I'm not a psychologist. I freely admit that I'm a soul counselor, former clergyman, but I tip my hat to psychologists and all the people down there in the trenches, or especially, you know, people working with children, child psychologists, child therapists, uh, speech therapists, fucking occupational therapists or um, physical therapists with children, anything with children, that's a gift I don't have. Especially teenagers, I get the occasional one, but man, you work with kids and you know, 13, 14, 15, you, you have been touched by the gods because you have abilities I don't have. Mad respect. So I, I, have, ma- I have mad respect for Dr. Phil, I do. But to your point, you say, How about Dr. Phil keeps on trying to keep toxic relationships alive? It's not illegal to cut ties. No, and I'm not a fan of keeping toxic relationships alive. And uh, as you know, I've written a book on infidelity and have a lot of personal experience as the cheater, as the one who is cheated on, and as the co-cheater on someone's cheating on their spouse, written books on it. And it's sort of one of the things that I've done a lot of work in. And there's an author or two right now and speaker talking about how, hey, it's excusable and, and gee, it's understandable because of, of whatever there's fucking DNA or some bullshit. And for me, it's like, no way. There's no fucking way. <laughs> there's no excuse. There's no excuse for, or for pushing someone who's a victim of a crime, of abuse. I mean, cheating is abuse. The abuse of the trust of a relationship. And you're gonna push that person that they should stay in? They should only stay in if they want to. And that's only going to come after they get out all their rage and anger and sadness and everything else. But the notion that you're obliged to stay in toxic fucking life, no fucking way. No fucking way. How could I more further confirm in my life that I don't matter than staying in a situation where someone's being a fucking asshole to me? Yeah, let's do that. Let's shout to the heavens, I don't matter. Let's do that. That's a great idea. And you know what? Let's not just do it once. Let's do it every day when I wake up next to this person. Staying in a toxic relationship while they continue to be toxic? No, sorry. No, no fucking way. All right, next question. All right, I've got another question here. This person says, I'm the black sheep and scapegoat of the family. I'm never gonna win. I'm done being the go-between. That's a tough one. Black sheep, uh, scapegoat of the family. And I know I have a lot of clients and a lot of listeners who express the same thing where they're being mistreated by family members. And it's not always the parents. A lot of times, the, the siblings are doing it. And of course, they're, they're just executing what was allowed or perhaps even encouraged in childhood. So the root problem still tracks back to the parent, right? If this shit was allowed, but yeah. The, and very often that sibling is getting the praise or the approval or the acceptance of the parent because they're treating you like shit. And as we get older and get our own sense of agency and strength and power, we stand up to that. But that requires excising, cutting out of you all the messages that you've been getting that you suck, that you're no good, you're the black sheep, you're the scapegoat, you're the loser, you're whatever. And the way to cut those out, it's not just getting all the feelings out and exposing all those truths to yourself and admitting they're not right, but it's also uh, letting go of wanting love still. See, part of the reason we stay locked in just toxic relationships with family members is we still want the relationship to work deep down, not always. Deep down, we still want that relationship to work because we still want the love. 
We still want the approval. We still want something from them. We want them to stop criticizing. We want them to accept or give attention or affection or acknowledgement or maybe even apology. Imagine holding on to the lapel of someone's suit coat while they're punching you in the face. And they keep punching me in the face. Why won't they stop punching me in the face? They keep punching me in the face. It hurts so bad when they punch me in the face. And them punching you in the face is wrong, period. No excuse. But it's what keeps us holding on. The reason they keep punching us in the face is in part because I'm still holding on to their lapel. Why am I holding on to the lapel? Because I still want something from them. I'm holding on because I can't bear the thought of letting go of them. And so the hard, one of the hardest things, particularly in family shit, siblings, parents, is letting go of them, potentially walking away, giving myself permission to realize I'm never, I have this 30 year pattern of behavior. They've never given me love. They've always treated me this way and it's time to let go. And that means admitting that I'm never gonna get my love needs met by them and admitting that potentially uh, I've never had a family to begin with. I've been alone the whole time. Well, those are extraordinarily powerful feelings. And maybe then after that also, and now I'm alone in the world. And so we hold on to someone just because we don't like the idea of being alone in the world or we hold on to someone because it's too painful to consider that I never had a family or you know, we keep holding on and they just keep punching us in the face. Well, that's a pretty clear sign from the universe. When the universe, when life is punching you in the face, let go of the lapel, let go and then face the consequences of being alone because it sure beats getting punched in the face. Well, folks, I'm gonna take one more question and then we are going to call it a day this one looks good. Actually, a bunch of these look good. I hope you guys will tune back in because some of these questions look so good. I really want to tackle them. But I'm going to do this one. How do you deal with someone that accuses you of something that you're not doing and you even have proof that you're not doing it? Proving that you didn't do something is not easy to do. So the fact that you can prove that you didn't do something is great. But that's not the problem, is it? You say, how do you deal with someone that accuses you of something that you're not doing? How do you deal with? So the mere fact you use deal with, you use that word, says it's problematic for you. You don't like it. It doesn't feel good, right? And so you're wondering, how do I deal? Well, there are certain situations in life that are so frustratingly difficult or so uh, perpetual that, you know, it's like it gets worse and worse and worse the more you have to deal with it, right? And so to be very, very honest with you, all you can do sometimes is put your truth out there and put your truth out there and put your truth out there. And eventually you get tired of putting your truth out there. You put your, when we see what happens when we put our authentic truth out there is this person is gonna respond in one of two ways. And you guys have heard me say it before. Either they're gonna respond with some variant of, you know what, I believe you. You said you don't do it and I need to stop hectoring you because clearly there's something going on inside of me that is worried or fearful or anxiety ridden. And so I keep accusing you. And you know what, you, you say that you didn't do it. I, I believe you. I do, and thank you for setting me straight, and I trust you, and I love you, and I'm gonna work on my own shit, because clearly this is about me. Okay, that's someone, my response to that is thank you, you just showed me who you are. Or they're gonna respond, if you put your truth out there, plain and simple, just put your truth out there, they're gonna respond with some derivative of, it's bullshit, that's bullshit. No, um, I don't believe you, or no, or if you're if you're putting your truth out there, maybe it's something like, I don't like when you treat me this way. They say, what, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? Or they deny it, deflect, dodged, that sort of thing. So either they're responding, if you just put your truth out there, simple as can be, without hedging it, without, you know, without fudging it or whatever, just put it out there. Whatever your truth may be on any uh, situation, they're either gonna respond with some derivative of a loving response or some derivative of a denial response or a putting it back on you response. 
In either case, you know what my response is? Thank you, you just showed me who you are. See, here's the thing, in this question, how do you deal with someone that accuses you of something that you're not doing? Even when you have proof that you're not doing it, eventually you get tired of dealing. And this is, I think, what's maybe scaring you. The re- this is the reason you're still dealing with it because you're realizing they're not gonna change and they have no interest in changing because they don't think they're the problem. So you are in a relationship trying to make it work with A, someone who doesn't wanna address their shit, but B, someone who doesn't believe you, someone who doesn't trust you, even though you know in this case it's not you. So why would you choose to stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't trust you and believe you when you speak? Why would you choose to stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to look at the fact that this is really about me? And the reason they don't wanna look at it is because they wanna make you the problem. Why would you choose to stay in a relationship with this person? And let me tell you, if you're in a relationship with somebody like that, it doesn't end well. It doesn't even go well before the ending. That's the whole reason. I mean, you're feeling shit right now. You're trying to deal with something. And at some point, if I'm really, really honest, you have to admit that this fucking relationship sucks. And I don't like being in a fucking relationship with somebody who doesn't trust me and who's always accusing me of shit. It's like, this is so fucking old. And then you gotta ask yourself the harder question. What is it that I'm really afraid of in leaving? Oh, well, this person can be so good. I don't want to leave them because I like the good parts. I just wish it changed. Yeah, but they aren't changing. Or is it, I don't want to be alone or I don't want to go through another breakup. Or when I'm alone, all those fucking old voices of I suck, I'm no good, I'm not wanted. They all come rising up. But anytime you're avoiding something that you kind of sense it, life is leading you to, if you're avoiding that, such as a breakup that you know you got to do, or you sense maybe coming, always got to ask yourself the question, what's my primary fear that is keeping me from executing that? Then articulate the answers and go with the biggest, hairiest, scariest one. Well, people, I want to thank you so much for these great questions. Really, I this is such a treat for us, and it keeps us on our toes. I have listeners uh, who say, you know, Sven, I love your counseling episodes where you're actually counseling people um, because it, there's just like raw emotion and it's people's voices that you're interacting with. And then I get other people, uh, like my brother, John. John's always like, Sven, I love the lightning rounds because it's always so fast and, you know, every question is different and it, you really have to be on your toes. And it's like, I hope somebody stumps Sven. I hope somebody stumps. It's like, John, you're my brother. Why would you think that? He says, ah, toughen up. Uh, Rob. <laughs> no one can stump you. That's not true. Okay. Uh, not true. I don't believe I, that for I, a second. Haven't seen it yet. Oh, well, you're very gracious. Rob, what are your thoughts on today's questions? Which one or ones jump out of you or what thoughts are, do you have? Well, you've taken on scapegoats and black sheep, furry monsters, but I have to point out no animals were harmed in the production of this podcast. Yes, very important. Thank you for that uh, announcement. It's good to ever, that everyone knows that no animals were harmed. All uh, right. But I did have a little cream in my coffee. So one animal was milked. All, <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. KC up in the booth is waving to all of you. If you can't see it, she's waving. And to all of our listeners around the world, from Nairobi to New Zealand, from New Mexico to New Hampshire, way up to Nanowit, Canada, way up north great to have everyone here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. (laughs) 